We're back with another PW Torch VIP podcast vault. We're jumping back 18 years to the January 23rd, 2015 episode of the VIP Audio Roundtable. I was joined by columnists Bruce Mitchell and Pat McNeil, and we discussed the TNA pay-per-view from the previous Sunday, the following month's TNA pay-per-view lineup, Batista's proclamation that Triple H is the greatest of all time, and our thoughts on where Triple H really stands on that list. Also, the merits and drawbacks of turning Eddie Guerrero heel. Whether, and this is good, whether John Cena is showing signs of being a franchise player. That discussion 18 years ago, you get to hear it coming up here. What do we think? Also, the current direction of SmackDown. And we close with some thoughts on the death of Johnny Carson, a longtime host of The Tonight Show on NBC. This is the latest in the ongoing series of PW Torch VIP Podcast Vaults, jumping back to some of the earliest surviving pro wrestling podcasts you'll find anywhere. It's a history lesson. It's fascinating. It's fun, informative, all those adjectives. And we appreciate you being a VIP member and uh, listening to these. So let's get to it. Here's the latest one. This is Wade Keller with a timely post-TNA pay-per-view roundtable recap uh, taking place six days after the actual pay-per-view took place, actually about five and a half days but we're not just going to talk about the TNA pay-per-view, so don't click off now if, uh, you're, not in f- if you're not in the mood for a uh, five-and-a-half-day-after-the-fact TNA roundtable. But uh, do we do have with us Bruce Mitchell. Hello, Bruce. Five-and-a-half days. This is Sunday. Oh, you're right. It's Sunday, so it's six and a half days. It was on Sunday. I don't know what day it is. It's a week. I don't know what day it is. I've been sick and battling snow and all kinds of stuff. Uh, Pat, how are you doing? The obsessive compulsive. I'm fine. I would say it's six and two-thirds days about a why don't we yeah, spend talk it? to the lawyer. Yeah, I'll, I'll trust Pat. We'll, we'll say six and two-thirds. Um, yeah, you're, it, it might even, yeah, it's probably six and three-fourths, actually, from when it started, but six and two-thirds from when it completed, roughly. Well, what do, what do we think about the uh, TNA pay-per-view? We all think with one brain. Do we all, uh, I, I thought, I think we all thought it was a good show. Um, I, I think I liked it a little bit better uh, than you guys did, just because I thought there were, you know, two matches that carried the day in the undercard matches. I think I... Liked a little better than you guys. Pat, what's your overall thought on how they delivered on this show and whether it was what it needed to be for where they are right now? Um, I, I gave it a thumbs up. I, I think in uh, in several ways they're, they're doing a good job of delivering. The, the main problem I have is that, their, uh, is that their main angle is focused on somebody who is not really a main event level guy, but that's not going to change anytime soon. How about your thoughts, Bruce? Um, two things. One, the strength of those shows continues to be the things that they're not pushed as main events. It's just the guys, the younger guys, the very talented exhibition guys, who they do give, you have to give them credit, they do get out of the way of. Um, but the creative genius of Dusty Rhodes and the creative genius of the company is focused on the old stars, Jeff Jarrett, the, um, the kings of wrestling, and all that stuff. And those guys are not stars, and they're not kings of wrestling, and until they get out of that idea, which is, I don't see how they're going to, um, it's pretty bad. Also, the fact that they sent out Eric Watts um, with what he had just been through in the week before and, and the condition that he was in and had him wrestle is, again, I'm not the lawyer, but it seems pretty cl- it's unethical or close to criminal. Uh, so. can, we go with, can we go with Sleazy? Negligent? Yeah, Sleazy. Um, you know, you send a guy out and, you know, has issues with concussions and um, a depression issue that, what, I mean, suicide attempt, a cry for attention, fake suicide attempt, whatever you want to call it, something happened and it was bad and they still had him wrestle. What do you, I, I, yeah, I mean, that's definitely a serious issue and Pat, you, uh, actually covered 
the the whole I, it's it's larger than just drugs, but certainly drugs is a major issue. It seems like TNA has become a bit of a haven for uh, ex-drug users who don't want to clean up their act. Yeah, it's, it's like the old Oakland Raiders of professional wrestling, except the Raiders used to win games in Super Bowl. <coughs> yeah, and, and not that, and it's not everybody, but it's a lot. I mean, there's, there, I mean, for the, its entire existence, there have been, uh, you know, on record and off record stories of, of what goes on in that locker room from the top on down. And it's just, you know, it's incredible that they were able to put on a decent show now and then doing the weekly pay-per-views. And, and you know, I guess it, it sometimes, in some ways, it probably explains some of the bad shows. But from a, from a monthly pay-per-view perspective, I agree that this was a show that probably needed to show viewers that they were shifting away from Jeff Jarrett. And I think it would have been a good time to get the title on Monty Brown, but they wanted to try to get one more match out of Jarrett with Nash on top, you know, so can we draw with the big name Kevin Nash on top? And they, they drew that out, and they continue to think they'll just keep their fans as long as they deliver a second from the top X Division match. But they used yeah, up... They're talking about it like they're delivering enough fans that they're profitable, and they're not. And if they don't do something, you know, they're under the gun right now from Panda to um, change that. I know, I agree. I mean, I, and, the, you know, I mean, they're going to end up, you know, we're going to see Kevin Nash, and then I believe we're going to see Diamond Dallas Page and Diamond Dallas Page win the title, and again, that's the that's exchanging the you know the title from one watched a, you know one guy who's not a star to another guy who's no longer a star. And no, I'd rather have it be on Page than Jarrett. I think Page. I don't think that. I mean, I mean, I, like, would you rather eat dirt or grass? I mean, right. um, you oh, know, grass, I can course. see whether you prefer one or the other, but neither one of them's gonna <laughs> be a, you know be a good meal. Well, first of all, you know, grass, and, and second yeah. of all, um, <laughs> I, I think I think TNA has the potential to be mildly enjoyable. The problem is that you have to pretend, you have to make believe that AJ Styles is the world champion, and Jeff Jarrett holds like the NWA Intercontinental Belt or something like that in order to in order to pull it off. And then, and that's, that's, that's the main shift they would have to make. I mean, yeah. it's, I'm, I'm fine with them spending their wasting their creative thoughts and skits and stuff. On the old timers like Jarrett and, and Kevin Nash and, and Diamond Dallas Page and those guys, and, you know, as long as they just as long as they let the uh, they turn loose some of the younger wrestlers and let them go, it's just it's just the priorities that are the problem. Yeah, if you could TiVo the event and just switch around, you know, the Jarrett match and put it, you know, third or fourth from the top and move AJ's match now that he's ex champ, you know, he'll be in a top match pretty consistently as long as he holds a belt. You know, you would it would change your perception of the pay per view, but there is something about. Uh, a letdown in that main event that you know it's it's hard to hard to deal with it. I mean, I thought the main event was a decent main event, but it's not enough that's going to change people's opinion of Jeff Jarrett, make people think Monty Brown is this is is the next big thing, and make them not feel like it was uh, you know the wrong main event because uh, that Ultimate X match was fantastic for its genre, uh, for its type of match. It 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 was absolutely great, and and it's too bad that. In the end, the focus continues to be on Jeff Jarrett, who, from the first appearance he made on that pay-per-view, does not look like a star right now. Uh, he looks yeah, like yeah, he looks really, he looks really worn and frayed. There's no two ways about that. But it's not only Jeff Jarrett; it's Dusty Rhodes, it's Dustin Rhodes, it's Raven, it's um, you know, it's Diamond Dallas Page, it's, it's Scott Hall and Kevin Nash and Jeff Hardy and all these guys. You know, these these guys who were stars who are not stars anymore. And that's where the, that's where the creative um, genius of Dusty Rhodes, the movie maker, is going to go towards. And until that changes, I mean, yeah, you know, I don't know that I want to um, have to edit my own pay per view if I'm if I'm spending thirty bucks a, a pot to get it. I mean, I think that's kind of you know they need 
still need a fundamental change in who they are. And you guys are talking about it, just I don't think it's enough to to go. Okay, I'll put up with an hour and a half of of crap to get two good matches that don't have storyline, don't have strong storylines behind them. I mean, I I don't think that's right. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I I don't. I think they could do better, and I don't think they have any interest in doing better. I think it's still, you know, it's a welfare haven. It's a seventeen million dollar welfare haven for. Um, a lot of old wrestling stars who think they're entitled to get paid. Well, that's, uh, I mean, there, there's something to that, Bruce. But compared, I mean, but, but like I said in the in the recap, you know, compare the compare the last two TNA shows to the last two WWE shows. Which would you rather watch? I mean, I guess well, God, that's another that. issue, which is real, which is a sad issue too. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the truth. I mean, that's yeah. that's a yeah, that's um, that's a whole other. Kettle of fish or something. Right. And, and I, I have a problem too with people just smugly making fun of the you know fifteen to twenty million dollars this promotion has lost when they say it as if that alone is reason to mock them. Big businesses lose money at first. Now I'm going to get to the to the bad part about this, but big you that's you lose tens oh, no, of I... millions of dollars when you start a wrestling promotion from scratch if you have a ten year game plan. There's no that is you don't make money off right out the gate. That, and I just think it's so silly when people smugly refer to that number as if, oh look at that, that's the be all end all. There well, is no, no, Bruce. Let me make, Bruce. Let me, make, let me finish my point so that you don't interrupt and say the obvious. The problem is how they spent that money, and that's what takes a deeper analysis. And the problem is they've spent the money uh, on promoting stars who don't have a future. And I don't have a problem with there being Dusty Rhodes and Jeff Hardy and Raven and maybe Dallas Page. I have a problem with there being Dusty Rhodes and Raven and Dallas Page and Eric Watts and Kevin Nash and this guy and that guy. There's too many. The problem within TNA is an attitude, which may be right or may be wrong, that the guys who they, the young guys who they are pushing but not developing their characters aren't interested in developing characters. The reputation of the X Division among the stars, among the people who have been more places, is that they're high spot marks who have no idea how to develop their characters. And that's why there's kind of this internal contradiction even among those who know that they've got to be building for the future. They don't believe that the guys who are the future can carry storylines on the TV show uh, because, you know, people like Chris Saban and Petey Williams aren't interested in that type of thing. Otherwise, they would try. But that's Dusty Rhodes' job to try to overcome it. Well, you know, I mean, it's like, it's like the smugly say the $17 million. If they spent $17 million actually building up something besides um, Jeff Jarrett, and Jeff Jarrett's kind of a symbol of all of it, um, if they spent $17 million building up a company, that would be one thing. They spent $17 mi- building up a company, developing characters, getting, um, you know, getting new storylines going, um, really putting on good shows from top to bottom that gave the fans of their promotion what they wanted and they were build they were showing some signs of building an audience of building and they are showing small signs of it. The, the Saturday night uh, uh, repeat does have, get a decent rating and um, I guess you could say these Sunday shows have, have gotten they're not break even or close to it but they're, they're in some ways doing better than the weekly shows did but if they were really building a quality product and they spent 17 million dollars and they're positioning themselves to be a breakout wrestling promotion because God knows WWE is ripe for the fall. I mean, they really are there. Um, they've got they've got the same people on top all the time. They've got a management team that's more interested in, in punishing and sh- punishing um, people and showing who's in charge than they are in serving their audience. And they are ripe for the fall. And so, if they spent that seventeen million dollars in a way that put them in a position to compete, then there's nothing wrong with it. But the fact they spent that seventeen million dollars 
um, preparing Jeff Jarrett for his next job and trying to make him a star and failing, and also um, coddling and um, providing a haven for all these, you know, all these drug guys. Um, that's that's where I have a contempt for that seventeen million dollars. When I smugly say seventeen million dollars, that's why. It's not just that they spent it. Exactly, and I have no problem with that. I just think more detail yeah. needs to be added because they're not that they spent it. It's that they spent it in such a poor way. I mean, and that's where, in a world that could use it in so many different ways. And, you know. Well, there's no doubt that, we get your point, there's no doubt that, that if had they spent the money entirely on creating a, a, a new roster of stars, and even if that means promoting some people who have zero personality, which is a reputation of Chris Saban, or who have no interest in anything except, how was my match, what did the internet think, like is a reputation for Petey Williams, even if they spent, even if they tried, something was going to stick. And the problem is, is they're trying to chase after fans of, WCW Saturday Night from 1993 and fans of WWF Raw from 95 and, and, and they're just not in touch and it's, it's, it's my belief that there, you cannot run an effective wrestling company or book an effective wrestling company unless you are watching 8 hours of new wrestling every single week and studying what's working and what isn't and I don't think anybody in TNA is watching WWE much less Ring of Honor or OBW or uh, or, or the indie tapes of IWA itself, just to, or, or what's going on in Japan and in Puerto Rico. You have, but especially what's in the United States, you have to see what's working and what isn't with today's fans and create a new base. They don't need a huge fan base, and yet they're unwilling to just create a new one by putting out the best show they can. They're trying to chase after this old base that isn't going to find them on pay-per-view or be interested in watching Kevin Nash today. Well, the thing is, though, and all their cronies and the party after the show and what goes on in the hotel room, all their guys won't be around. All the ones they want to have jobs and to hang out with. I mean, that's where they start. That's where they start. And then also, you've got a guy. You've got a guy who's the new booker who considers himself, you know, making movies. But he also considers, you know, he considers a guy like Kevin Nash a young guy because he hasn't he hasn't progressed in eighteen years. So Pat, what's that? That too. Well, he's a, young, he's a young guy because he's not as young as because he's younger than the book. Right. Exactly. Oh, yeah. And the Booker is, is, of course, the biggest star. You know, if the Booker, if, if he uh, had a huge ego and let himself wrestle full-time, he would be the biggest star in the company. You can just ask him. Well, I mean, I mean Wade's right. I mean, it is pretty funny. I saw the, the replay the other night, and it's, it's funny in a bad way to see the 60-year-old fat guy come out and have these two girls draped all over him who are making passes at him and, um, and who is setting himself up to team with his son to feud with um, a bad guy, AMW. I mean, that's what we're going to see down the road. So. It's almost as sad as, as being the world champion and the son-in-law of the boss and having every wrestler in every interview feel obliged to say that you're the greatest wrestler in history. You know what? I think that's worse. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is almost as bad. It, yeah. That's a little worse. But I mean, we'll, we'll get to that in one sec because I definitely want to talk about it. Let's, let's do a final thing on, on TNA, and that is just look at their next lineup since we are just three weeks away from it. Um, AJ Styles against Christopher Daniels in a 30-minute Iron Man match. Now, I like I like this for two reasons. One, you're guaranteeing 30 minutes of AJ Styles, who is still one of the most enjoyable wrestlers to watch in the industry today, and he has overcome the negatives of TNA for the last several years and come through almost every time. And Christopher Daniels deserves a chance to show what he can do. Here's this guy who has this reputation for being one of the great singles guys in ROH, and he's really never been given an ample opportunity to show that in TNA. So this is a good test for him, and he's got a chance to develop a personality. I'm not crazy about the Fallen Angel gimmick. 
being picked up in midstream with really no explanation of what the hell it means, but um, they need to develop that character and explain who he is and, and what his character is. But I, I like that as a match. Plus, they've got Dallas Page against Scott Hall, Raven against Dustin Rhodes, and AMW against Kid Cash and Dallas Lance Hoyt. Um, your thoughts on the lineup at this point, Pat? Well, I mean, can I point out that you left out the most important match? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the most important match being uh, BG James uh, teaming with the one, the only uh, Jeff Hammonds against uh, Frankie Kazarian and Michael Shane. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, uh, go ahead and comment. You've just ruined my day. Thanks. Uh, lineup, <laughs> lineup, it's not that bad. Uh, you also left out the uh, big Jeff Hardy versus Abyss uh, match, which I believe is... Uh, which I believe is, is actually not called a TLC match in, in TNA. No, it is called a Full Metal Mayhem match. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, you're right. Actually, uh, that's impressive that you know that. Thank you. I'm, <laughs> I'm a trained professional. You are a trained well, lawyer. See, the difference is in Full Metal Mayhem, you get to use chains, too. See, well, that's, I mean, that's good. Let them, let them add their twist to the gimmick. Um, it's, it's, it's not a, a bad lineup. The problem is, you know, when, when you look at a pay-per-view, generally the first question you have is what's on top. And what's on top is going to be Kevin Nash and Jeff Jarrett. And, you know, you, I, mean, I mean, even though realistically I don't think that's going to end up being the last match. It might end up being the, the next to last match. And one of, the, uh, one of the, you know, big gimmick matches might wind up on top. I, I can see that happening. But, you know. I don't. I mean, unfortunately, you know, Kevin Nash. The last time Kevin Nash delivered a really good match on pay per view, one he was wrestling Shawn Michaels, two it was 1996. Um, yeah, and people are gonna and people are gonna remember that, you know. And and uh, you go back a few years, you know, Nash and Jarrett headlined uh, WCW, and somehow that didn't stop WCW from going out of business uh, <laughs> months later. So you know, it's it, it, it's not it, it doesn't it doesn't bode well for for the long term future when when you're making sure that your champion is not getting booked against anybody else who would make a better champion. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the other matches are, are going to be fun to watch, and, you know, they're, they're going to probably drive the show into, into, a, into a thumbs-up range. But, you know, people watching TNA aren't getting the sense that there's, that there's a long-term future to it. Unless yeah, or, or that there's upward mobility. Right. You know, that, that's, that's the key issue, is this their upward mobility? And maybe what TNA management's saying is, Let's get what we can out of out of Nash, and then maybe the following month we'll get what we can out of uh, out of Dallas Page in the main event, and then then from there we'll start building. You know, and the question is, That's is not that what they're doing? They they think they um, Diamond Dallas Page is Dusty Rhodes' guy. He thinks that the way they're going to get pay per views is is riding Kevin Nash versus challenging Jeff Jarrett because those two are two are stars. They're not just getting what they can out of the old guys to set up the new guys. Dusty Rhodes is using the old guy, is, is um, committed to the same philosophy they've had along, which is to use the old guys to drive the, um, the buy rate. Who would, you, who would you go with in world title matches the next two or three pay-per-views, given the roster that they have, or an obvious free agent pickup they could acquire? Well, I mean, the first thing I would say is Monty Brown should have won yeah. that match against Jeff Jarrett uh, next, next week on television, and they're going to edit this pretty badly, but Jeff Jarrett got got um, humiliated during his in-ring interview. I mean, the, that crowd, I mean, you're talking about the people that come to TNA, that follow TNA. They, um, they chanted Triple H at him. They turned their back to him. They um, really just gave him a rough, rough time. I mean, it was, it was a bad deal. So, I mean, they want, even they wanted somebody new, and they thought that was the time to do it. Now, um, let me go back to a point that you made about, you know, you're excited about Christopher Daniels and AJ Styles. 
if you saw the main event on on the TNA show, on the TNA Impact show, the setup for that match made no sense. You had AJ Styles, the you know the star, the the um, you know the babyface who put up a title, a chance for a title shot in a ten minute match against Christopher Daniels. And if Christopher Daniels lasted the ten minutes, he got the title shot. And Christopher Daniels wrestled the guy to a draw, and then the last 30 seconds kind of, you know, and using his common sense, stayed away from AJ Styles, you know, and won his, his title thing. I mean, it made no sense from, he, again, it was the heel outsmarting the babyface. Why wouldn't the babyface, body who's ever come up against him, AJ Styles in the, in the history of that company, whether he was a good guy or a bad guy, whenever they put a challenge in front of him, always took it. Why would he make this guy go to a 10-minute show that he could stay in the ring for 10 minutes, it was just backwards. I mean, it was this backwards... No, that is backwards. You know, this, this backwards deal. So, again, what I'm trying to say is they don't put any thought into setting up these matches, and they need to do that, and they need to do that. Then you look at... Um, but who would, who would I go with? I would fire a whole bunch of people. I would drop them and fire them, and um, I would bring in some more of the types of the, of the Ultimate X matches, and then I would bring in some people that were committed to, you say, I mean, I've heard you say all along, Petey Williams is not interested in, it, it has a reputation not in, being interested in developing his character. Well, I'd bring in some people that would work with these guys and teach them how to develop their characters. Absolutely. And I would keep Jeff Jarrett, you know, long enough for him to win and lose, but I mean, what would I do? I'd clean up that locker room. I mean, I mean, they they're getting closer and closer to, you know, more tragedy, and they need to clean that out and clean it up and not put up with it. The way they said, you know, the legal department said they would not condone, after Hector Garza said they would not condone drug, you know, illegal drug use. Well, let's see them do that. But um, I would also, you know, I would also bring in some of the people that, um, and I might go with, I might, I might bring in Ring of Honor, Full Hog. I mean, I don't know what I'd do. I mean, I, but that's where they need to go. The one place that they've had success is with the younger guys and um, bringing a strong creative team that's committed to teaching these guys how to do the other parts, make them as good at um, at doing interviews and and as good and give them simple logical storylines. You don't have to like you don't have to recreate the wheel, but just give them simple logical storylines. And I think you might have something that you can grow with and stop looking for Jeff Hammond trying to say trying to bring a crossover audience between. NASCAR and the X Division and, and nonsense like that. And frankly, I was listening to that lineup, and a lot of those matches I don't want to see. I don't want to see um, DDP and Scott Hall. I don't want to see um, um, who, what else was in that lineup. I mean, was, well, I, I mean, I think and, else, and, I mean, it was like and it wasn't w that against, strong a lineup. And W against Kit Cash and Hoyt is good. That's but, okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Dustin Rose against Raven. No good. Um, and otherwise, I mean, other, that's it. Otherwise, you know, you got Jeff Hardy in Abyss. I mean, you're probably using Jeff Hardy the right way because he's, okay. he's, he's probably a crash and burn, you know, guy. Get rid point. of Jeff. I mean, I get rid well, of Jeff Hardy. And if you want to talk about Jeff Hardy in Abyss, here, here, you know, here, here's here's a question for you. Here's Abyss, and he comes out of the pay per view and he attacks Jeff Hardy, and and he does something similar to that this past week on TV, and nobody thinks of trying to explain or trying to ask, hey, why is Abyss so pissed off at Jeff Hardy? Why is he so pissed off that we have to do a ridiculous over-the-top gimmick match in their first page yeah. meeting? Yeah, which is you know, which is another thing that their booking has been consistently incoherent for the for the life of the promotion, and that's that's you know they need to 
to spend some time with that. But I think they spent less time in the hotel room partying or in the bar and more time working on that. Even though, you know, I don't know, even though they claim they spent 30 hours a, a week writing the, the shows. I mean, I don't know. They're a mess, and they need to be cleaned out. You know, they need to be cleaned up and cleaned out. Yeah, and it's, it's too bad because, I mean, you can watch you can watch an hour of TNA and enjoy it as a wrestling show, and then you can watch the pay-per-view and enjoy it, and yet there's so much, there's so many little and big things that they're doing wrong, and there's so many things that could be so much better, and there's people out there who just don't have the money who could really do something exciting with this, and I think that's the bottom line about this whole discussion is, where is this you know, $20 million going, and what kind of lost opportunity is this for the wrestling industry, and it's, sh- it's shameful that the people who are best at finding money backers and spending money are not the same ones who are absolutely just dedicated to the craft, whether it's, you know, a, you know, a Gabe Sapolsky. And I'm sure Gabe's honeymoon period is going to be over sometime, and we're going to pick out the things about him that aren't perfect and, and all that. And, and you see it's him. not a honeymoon period if, if, if he starts doing wrong things. No, no, but no, but I mean, by, but I do mean by honeymoon period, the element of everything is everything he does well is new and exciting, and it does kind of mask some of the negatives. And as time goes on, the novelty of what he does well is no longer new and shiny, and that means the stuff that maybe hasn't he hasn't been doing well all along, or things that are starting to catch up with him start catching up with him. That's all I'm saying, and I'm not saying we're there yet. I'm just no, saying, his challenge is to evolve, is to continue to evolve his promotion. If he doesn't continue right. to evolve it, then he'll be in the same shape everybody else gets. Yeah, but anyway, all I'm I'm saying is I don't want people who think, oh, you know, all you do is talk about the brilliance of Gabe. Well, I'm saying, you know, if things aren't aren't the way they should be, it'll be mentioned. But so far, it's been a very fun uh, two or three years to watch. uh, Or, or, you know, but there's wrestlers like CM Punk who would be better off in the position that Jeff Jarrett is in as the world champion with tons of influence over what's going on in his storylines. Punk wouldn't be the perfect champion, but my gosh, they're just, you know, they're... Obviously, you'd rather see a promotion built around the young guys who are excited to be there with personalities who, who just, it is, it is their craft, and they're just so excited to bring it to a new audience instead of what TNA represents most, uh, most represents, even though there's some good aspects of it with the X Division, which they've done a good job overall. Keep, they haven't destroyed it. They've done enough good building it and not enough destroying of it so that it really is an asset for the promotion and for a lot of people, not enough people, but a lot of people reason enough to order the pay-per-views because you know you're going to get something good you from there. Do you want me to pile on some more? Excuse me? you want me to pile on some more? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, Howard, you remember Howard Brody. Howard Brody had this uh, big tour set up of Korea this past weekend. Yeah. Where he was, where he was, and he was using the NWA guys and bringing in Dusty Rhodes and I think uh, and Sting and, and, and Buff Bagwell and Jeff Jarrett and all the big stars, uh, they had three shows scheduled. Two of them got canceled due to poor attendance. The one that they did put on was in Seoul, Korea. They didn't even fill up half the arena. The, yeah, the I thought in Korea they made them go to the wrestling show. I don't yeah. remember. They made people. The remember um, Showdown in Korea, the big, the big that, show? With that was North Korea. This North, North Korea. Korea, okay. See, that's their problem. They should have gone to North Korea. Well, they should have. The place where you can guarantee a sellout. But, but yeah, I mean, these guys are not stars anymore. I mean, that, that, that you know, you can you can put it in you can you should put it in flashing lights. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. These you know they, they should they should do pop up video and then you know and have and have it and, and have it explained to them that way. I mean, you know, you know, not a star, washed up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a, it's part of the nature of the wrestling business that has changed in the last. I don't know, 50 years. I mean, it used to be once you were a star, 
you remained a star, but it was, you know, they were in the territorial thing, so you could last till you were 60 if your body could hold up. But um, now because they run, now because we have these shows that run through all these angles so quickly and these people so quickly, they, you know, you're not going to. Also, you have a lot of guys that, um, you know, you have a lot of guys that didn't have the discipline to keep themselves stars, so, you know, or the ego, you know, they had egos that, that messed up and all the rest of it. So, yeah, they're not stars. No one wants to see them. I mean, that's a, that's what a star is. It's not whether you've heard of them. Well, the thing, the thing, thing is, it's, it's, not, it's not about, wrestling is not entirely about paying to see stars. That is a big part of it, but part of it is wrestling itself inherently can be really entertaining if you've got good personalities who can talk and emote and you and you put them in the ring and then they have a really entertaining match and you know what after 3 weeks of that you've got two stars if two exactly. people do that in front of a, in front of an audience that is flipping channels on Fox Sports and this isn't the old TNA where the philosophy was we need to use a Kevin Asher Dallas Page to bring some fans to to spend $10 so we can introduce them to P.D. Williams and A.J. Styles and Christopher Daniels. That's not what this is now. They're on Fox Sportsnet. It's time to create new stars by having them be entertaining for three straight weeks. You put somebody on for three straight weeks in an entertaining feud, and you know what? To the people watching the show, they're stars in their game to order pay-per-view. And, and I don't think TNA realizes they're on TV right now by the way they're promoting. But it is. It is an old boys club. So let's move on. Let's talk about the Batista interview. Um, I think that there were some things he said that were probably true and controversial and, and, and then other things, well, other one thing in particular that was kind of sad and pathetic. And let's start with the sad and pathetic one, which was when he was asked who's the greatest of all time. This was in, for the UK Sun, and the interviewers are longtime Torch subscribers, by the way, from the United Kingdom, asking, you know, provocative questions, and one of them is who's the greatest of all time. Batista said, I love and respect Ric Flair, but I'm going to have to say Triple H. He has the total package and is the best there has ever been. Now, my problem with this, I touched on it earlier, I don't have a problem with Batista doing what's politically best for him, and it's even possible, you know, but Batista thinks it's true. I don't think he does. Uh, what's sad is that Triple H would even, in the position he's in, allow people to talk about him like this because it comes across as so desperately pathetic to have your legacy announced ten years prematurely as it, it, assuming he even reaches a status where you can have an intelligent debate, whether it's Hunter and Flair. He's not even close to that point yet, and even if he was, it's not something that should be talked about when you're in your mid-30s, especially by your colleagues who are dependent upon you for push and a job and that type of thing. It just paints, when he says this, and when Ric Flair on television, his character should not be calling, should not be cowering to Triple H as if he's the, the ultimate guy who, who you can learn from. That should be Flair's role. And when you have this going on, it really paints a picture that Hunter, and, and again, this isn't buying into his gimmick. When Batista says that in a, in a UK interview, that's not, that's not, he's not in character. This is what he believes needs to be said because it's what Triple H needs to hear at this point. And psychoanalyzing what we're seeing here, it's just, I think it's really sad that Hunter is, is so needy to have uh, this reaffirmed or in his own mind or, or uh, broadcast. Uh, your thoughts on my rant, Pat? I think uh, desperate and pathetic would be a good way to, and, and needy would be would be a reasonable way to describe that. I mean, I mean yeah, uh, um, if, if it wasn't meant to be in character or, or cute or something like that, you know, like uh, like when uh, when Johnny Fairplay told me that you know uh, that uh, Triple H should be uh, my top draft choice, you know, but he was absolutely doing it a joke. I mean, it, mm -hmm. that's one thing, but but to come out there and 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 you know. And, and have to say it like that is uh, it's it's 
I mean, it, it's sad, and the sad, you know, and 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 you know that nobody believes that. That's that's probably the worst part. Bruce, what is, describe why Triple H, or disagree with me if you want, describe why Triple H is not greater than Ric Flair at this point in history. Well, one of the things, I mean, one of the things that's bad about this is Triple H has this passion to be seen as the greatest ever, to be seen as one of the top-level guys in the history of this industry. That's fine. That's, you know, in fact, that's a... Um, that at the end of the day, I mean, that's that's a plus that he has this passion to be the best. Good for him. I mean, and he works really hard at it, and he's probably um, gotten a lot more out of his talent than he would have if he didn't have that passion. So in that case, it's you know, it's a good thing for wrestling fans. It's a good thing for Triple H. But if he wants to be considered as one of the best, he's going about it in a counterproductive way. Um, if he's got the people that that work with him the closest, or you know, know the game. And they're so cowed by what they see all, you know, that family doing, pushing around and making sure that people fall in line and, you know, don't just, you know, even if it's good for the company or even if, if it's, um, you know, constructive criticism, that they don't get any criticism whatsoever or they all pay a consequence to the point where Batista feels like he has to say that, where Ric Flair feels like he has to say that in public places and other wrestlers feel like they have to say it in public places. If he wants to be considered that, he needs to... Put it, let us work do the talking and let the people who are a step away from the company say that he's a candidate for this. If those people, what I mean by that are people that follow this business closely who don't work for the WWE and, you know, the wrestlers and people like, the people like people on this round table and, you know, all that say, you know, say, okay, this guy at this point, he's a candidate for this. But to say it prematurely, and to make your subordinates say it, all that does is create this resentment and create this, gee, what a, you know, what a insecure baby. You know, I mean, that's what you kind of, that's what you kind of think. And, um. But make, make, make the case, why, why is it so obvious that Triple H is not the greatest of all time if Ric Flair's the other candidate? Where, where, what's, in a nutshell, what's the criteria and why is Triple H nowhere close at this point, if that's your opinion? Um, that's my opinion because part of being the, uh, he doesn't have if, if the two candidates are Ric Flair and just to narrow this down because really to na- you shouldn't narrow this down I mean there's a whole hundred years of candidates yeah oh, I, and, 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 and there's a hundred styles and a hundred years of markets and a hundred years of things to choose from however um, if you're just going Ric Flair versus versus Triple H Flair has if you go for number of great ma- number of great matches in his era, in you know, in his in his time, Ric Flair has an enormous, a multiplied amount more than Triple H. If you're going against a variety of opponents, um, Ric Flair had great matches against a greater variety of opponents, both both top level opponents, bottom level opponents, and in the middle level opponents. Um, Ric Flair um, also is, uh, you know, really is a 30 year, you know, 30 year career seen as you know, seen as this legendary figure, Triple H is not to that point yet. He is 35 years old instead of having a 30-year career. Um, let's see, 70, yes, 30-year career. Ten um, years ago, he was on pay-per-view against mm-hmm. Alex Wright. Yeah, 32, yeah, 32-year career. Um, he's not, he hasn't, Flair has had times when he really drew. Flair has had time, as an attraction, and put butts in the seats and all that. He has also had times in that 30-year career where he really didn't drew. Draw, but his top level 
um, probably was better than Triple H's with less of a crew to draw with. Um, you know, Triple H has the benefit of having worked with the top stars and, and been an important part of, you know, one of the great boom periods ever with some of the great top stars ever, Steve Austin, Undertaker, um, Rock, McFoley. And, but he was a supporting um, you know, player. Man. And, you know, he has the benefit of that. He was not the top leading guy during that era. Of course, Ric Flair has Hulk Hogan, Dusty Rhodes, and all the rest of the people that he had headlines with, too. Uh, Flair has, you know, Flair has more of an international resume than, than, um, Triple H does. Flair also has a better care, you know, a better, um, total package. And I don't mean like Fluger, but a better total package of charisma, um, interviews, and just, you know, how he carried himself than Triple H does. Triple H has to force himself to that. Bruce. I don't think that, I don't think, but I wouldn't even like to say that Triple H is, it's, it's a, it's to say it's a race between those two is kind of ridiculous. He's got a lot of other people. I mean, compare him to Antonio Inoki. You know, compare him to um, Hulk Hogan. I mean, there's a ton of other people. Well, really, the argument is, is he the greatest of this generation? Is he the greatest of his own generation? Is he, I mean, you have to talk about Steve Austin, Rock, and McFoley before you get to, to, to deciding who comes out of this generation as the competitor to Ric Flair or as a competitor to Hulk Hogan or as a competitor to the previous generations. And, and he hasn't even come out of his own generation as the, as the greatest ever. He's, he's, That's a very good point. It's going to be very difficult for him to do that. I agree. Yeah, I mean, he's going to be around longer because in terms of how people perceive this generation because he was around on top as a supporting player being made into a star by Steve Austin, Rock, and McFoley, and then they all left. And he was stuck. He stuck around, but that doesn't mean that Mick Foley didn't have a much richer uh, career of really more influential, meaningful matches leading up to the time that he put Triple H over. And The Rock's career was short, but in no way has Triple H come close to Rock's apex. And Steve Austin had a full-fledged, really good uh, ro- uh, career as a mid-carder that was much better than Triple H's before he became a top star. Austin. He's one of the top stars ever. I Absolutely, mean, oh, no question. I mean, it's the question to me is is Steve is it Steve Austin, Hulk Hogan, or Ric Flair? Those are the three, and then you get Rock, and then you have Foley, and then and then after that, and this is just the last twenty five years. I mean, again, you're well, you know, you even in this era, you have two or three years of Kurt Angle putting on great in ring performances that were better than Triple H's best work. Yeah, and and where I where I come up short on Angle is because he hasn't he did not have that five years of undercard work where he kind of earned it. He just walked in and was great. And so there's a little bit less of a track record. Oh, he record. earned it. Oh, he did outside of professional wrestling, and he walked no, in. No, 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 he earned it in professional wrestling. But he, he was just great from the beginning. That's, that's the thing. And, and that's where he's a little different in the sense yeah. that everybody else, including Rock to a lesser extent than the others, had that element. It's not It's not a matter of you have to pay your dues. I'm not saying that. It's just there, there's a bigger body of work before they were a main eventer. But, Pat, jump in on this, and what are your thoughts on what we've been saying? You can throw in Shawn Michaels on this. I mean, Absolutely, you're right. Yep. He, and Bret Hart. You know, he, had, he had a short time off, but he had some incredible matches. He headlined for a while, and he's, you know, he's back, admittedly, on a reduced schedule. Yep. I mean, probably the, the biggest problem okay, the biggest problem Triple H faces when you compare him to Ric Flair, and uh, other than the obvious one that he's just not, you know, he's not as good as Flair was in his prime, and there might, you know, and it'd be hard to find people who are. But the biggest problem he faces is, you know, for his whole career, Ric Flair has been perceived as the underdog. He fought back from a plane. He fought back from a broken back. He had he had Booker's when he's at the top of his game. 
you know, he had bookers conspiring against him to try and get themselves over or their friends over or build another world champion. And Flair just always seemed to be the guy who was there. Um, yeah, I mean, he got he got he got shoved into all sorts of political situations. You know, he's you know, you know, for for a lot of wrestling fans, Flair has been been battling uphill the whole career. You know, and despite the fact that he was at one time the top worker, um, you know, he he didn't always get the the star treatment. You know, Triple no, H has, has gotten the the star treatment. You know, he was treated as something special because of his physique starting out. Then he then he uh, moved. You know, then they moved him uh, into a championship position with WWE. They used Rock and they used Austin and they used Mick Foley to help put him over as as, as you know a worthy world champion. And you know, and, and there was never any and there hasn't been any question, at least not since he started dating Stephanie, that he was going to stay in a top position. You know, the the odds are stacked in his favor as opposed to Flair with the odds stacked against him. Uh, that, that, that's, that's the biggest problem he faces in terms of public perception. I agree, and I, I mean, I think he's trying to set the agenda as if it's him against Ric Flair, and, and it's not. And Shawn Michaels is an obvious person to add to the mix. I think the discussion from if you want to say the greatest WWF WWE performer of all time, even if you just wanted to, to talk about the modern WrestleMania era greatest WWE WWF wrestler ever, you've got five or six people who might come to mind before Triple H does. And that's not even taking into account Ric Flair, who wasn't part of enough of the WrestleMania era on WWE rings to be in the same breath as Steve Austin, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, and maybe Rock and Foley. And so it's, it's, it's like, how, how, did he get, how did Batista get to this point in the discussion? Well, he got there because, well, I mean, he probably, there's probably part of him that greatly admires Triple H, and there's probably part of him that is smart enough to kind of see how sad Triple H is, and, you know, he chooses to focus on on the other part of it. Um, it's just, it's, it is it is a strange thing. And, it, it's, you know, if, if Shawn Michaels had fallen in love with Stephanie McMahon and they had gotten married, I wonder if, you know, people would be talking about Shawn Michaels like this just because, well, he's got the power, and and uh, and once you have the power, you tend to kind of run with it. You want to take full advantage of it, and that seems to be what Hunter's doing. Well, that would have been, you know, actually, actually if Shawn Michaels had fallen in love and gotten married with Stephanie McMahon while Shawn was on top, that would have been pretty frightening, but... <laughs> Vince Russo had fallen in love with Stephanie McMahon and... and um, well, he would have been shot down in flames. No, no, and they had gotten together and gotten married. Or what oh. if Dustin Rhodes had done that? Or, um... God, I mean, you know, you just go down the list and that starts to become some really fun stuff. Um, quickly, guys, your thoughts on uh, SmackDown. It's fresh in our memory. The last couple of weeks has been uh, more soap opera-oriented, uh, and, and it's just kind of a, a different thing, and the ratings have been okay. Your, your thoughts on... Uh, actually, pretty good. Your thoughts on on the direction of SmackDown, Bruce? You say the WWE is you know uh, is is teetering on on falling apart, and and yet you know this one isolated situation is well, people aren't turning turning away from what they're seeing on SmackDown with the focus. The focus isn't even on on the uh, the, the the Don Marie types who have been around forever. The focus is on these you know nameless, faceless women who just you know, are good looking and, and are there to add sex appeal and build you know, you could make the argument that within WWE they're starting to think, hey, maybe we're onto something. We need more people who don't know anything about wrestling who just are a veneer of something that we think people want to watch. Well, I know that I was told that not this week's rating, but last week's rating, which was a good rating um, for them, the quarter hours, the storyline did not hold up. The people started getting turned off by it and stopped watching, and it kind of peaked very early on and, and, and declined after that. So if they're looking at that, I think they'd, they'd say that they've got some concerns 
that they're wearing people out with having having all these acting skits and all this dialogue and and all this stuff. I mean, there's a way that I thought it was kind of interesting in that they put the focus, you know, very very evenly on the top three guys in their top match at Royal Rumble. JBL, um, Big Show, and Kurt Angle all had their show where they outsmarted the other two. They all had their show where they got out where they got outsmarted by the other two too, and and you know took a beating or were humiliated or whatever. And that was kind of that was kind of interesting, but I don't. Um, we'll see how it holds up. But now if it goes into last week's quarter hours and it did hold and that did hold up and people were interested in you know seeing big you know big show was big show going to get his revenge against Kurt Angle for Kurt Angle um, you know kidnapping his girlfriend? Did they were did they stay with it the whole way? Did the did the audience build? And maybe they've got something. So um, there is something to that. There's been sometimes I see dialogue on that show that I think is really hackneyed and cliched, and other times it seems like um, they're getting a better sense of their stories. They're getting a little stronger in building stories. And I wonder if that the latest Hollywood guy, that they, the guy with all that experience, maybe isn't helping out a little bit. I mean, that's that's what I would say. I'm with that. Um, I don't think you know. I don't think. SmackDown's been necessarily that good, though. I mean, I okay. think Pat, jump in. Your the reputation being negative um, certainly goes with SmackDown right now. I mean, I still see it as kind of a negative. Um, last week's episode wasn't as appallingly awful as the uh, two weeks preceding it. There you go. There's my. I mean, <laughs> you, you at least had a couple of uh, a couple of uh, decent length, you know, and, you know, decent matches. And and as I believe I wrote, I, I think you know, with WWE, if you could. Again, it's one of those things where if you could go in with your TiVo and edit it out and put, uh, you know, the tag title match in one prominent spot on the show and put the uh, Ray and, and, and Chavo match at the end of the show and just sort of, you know, st- stack everything else in, in, in less important spots, you know, you wouldn't be as upset or as offended with it. Well, you know, it's one thing, you know, I, I, excuse me. Um, I, I, I know, I, I, I know. No, no, you're fine. I mean, I just want, I want to throw out something else, too, about SmackDown. So it's so jaw-droppingly bad, I think we just kind of ignored which is, they're turning Eddie Guerrero heel. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, that's insane. That's the one guy that they've got that that, that, that carries a specific audience. That, pe- that there are people who want to see him play that play that trickster role and be on top and think he's cool and think he's great. And they're going to alienate those people for what? For what? I mean, you know, I just... It, it, it's my, That's mind-boggling. And they, they're, they're turning that guy heel is mind-boggling. And the scary part is, I actually, you know, got the uh, Eddie Guerrero DVD for Christmas, and I, you know, I watched the little documentary that came with it. It might have been one of the best pieces of video WWE has ever put out. And I mean, ever, going back some you know, twenty odd years that I've watched it. In in creating a sympathetic character who they should continue to focus on as a babyface, or do you think that he's such a strong heel that it's not such a bad move to to switch him here? Well, you think it's a good move, Wade? No, no, I'm asking Pat because I, I didn't get the I don't get the sense from the, it being a great video whether he thinks that that means that he should stay babyface or go heel. I'm asking Pat. I mean, I I, th- I thought that did, that video did did a great job of setting up you know why Eddie you know what made Eddie Guerrero into a into a top wrestling star and it just brought back a lot of what went into Eddie's push as a world champion to begin with and you know how it how it worked out you know it it was working reasonably well I I can't I mean. In terms of uh, in terms of you know television, I, I can't say whether it was turning into buy rates. Obviously, it wasn't, but uh, you know it, it was one of those things that you know maybe 
with a, uh, you know, maybe if it had been set up better, maybe if they had given him some better opponents, it, you know, it, it could, uh, Eddie could still be on top here. And, and I think I think there's nothing wrong with turning Eddie Guerrero heel if you have somebody else in mind who you think his fans will attach themselves to, and they'll be so offended that Eddie Guerrero turned their back on him. And no, there's no doubt Eddie Guerrero can be a great, great heel. Um, in some ways, maybe a better heel than a babyface from a pure artistic standpoint. But you have to have somebody waiting in the wings who you say fans are going to attach themselves to out of anger with Eddie turning on them. And I don't see that happening. And that's where it's, it's, it's open and shut case, a bad move, because you have somebody with a following, a very a specific but sizable following, and you don't have someone else in mind if you're going to turn him who's going to take his place in, 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 those, in the hearts of those fans. And that's where... No, I'm still going to disagree with that because, I mean... Was it a bad move to turn Steve Austin heel a few years ago? Yes. Yes. Why was it a bad move? Because he was the number one most over babyface. Well, but who who at that time were they trying to replace him with? Who you, who then offsets my argument? If you want to turn Steve Austin baby or heel while he's a super popular babyface, because you want to try to stay ahead of the curve, let's say, and you've got somebody else who's ready to step up, and you think fans or in their signs of fans are going to attach themselves to this other person, and Steve Austin's 100% into turning heel and excited about it, as opposed to going, dragging his heels, that's a different situation than what we had. And, and that's why it was a mistake to turn Austin heel. But in my situation with Eddie, I'm just saying it was a mistake. This is where it wouldn't be a mistake. It, it, it's it, not... It, I'll, this, it, I'm saying what Bruce said... Same reason. There's no, because as you said, there is nobody waiting... Exactly. You guys aren't disagreeing with me. You're agreeing with me. What I'm saying is no, Bruce's I, reason... I, I am agreeing with you, you know, because there's no one in line right now that will be a number one baby face if, if, Eddie, if Eddie jumps over to the heel side. Just like there was no one who was ready to be who was ready to be a number one baby face after they turned Austin heel, and The Undertaker didn't yep. have it. Exactly. I'm just saying Bruce's reasoning alone isn't enough to say don't turn him heel... Because you can have a popular babyface who has a following, but if there's somebody else just sitting there, that that there's strong signs that fans are waiting. You know, it's a whole you know Batista thing. You know, fans are responding to somebody. The same group of fans who love Eddie are also starting to say, "Hey, this guy's pretty awesome," and they want to follow him. And you can work that into a storyline. Sometimes it makes sense to turn a popular babyface who draws. But Bruce, your premise is it doesn't it doesn't ever make sense to take a popular babyface. I'm saying and, and turn him heel. Of course it does. What I'm saying is, you've got one popular babyface. Right. You no, have no, no. one on your SmackDown brand. One. You don't have anybody else. And, you, and like you said, you don't have anybody else waiting in the wings. You have one that brings extra fans in. Why would you turn that guy when you've got nobody else? And that's, um, you've got one. And that's final, where. Final, okay, final, let me ask this question. Austin, Austin to me is like a lot more simple than that. Let, let me ask this question to you, Bruce. What he was should never have been turned heel. Let me ask you this question, Bruce. Should if there if the if the decision has been made, and and even if they're a little nervous about it and aren't positive, but they think there's a bigger upside to this than anything else that in front of them, including go, continuing to go with Eddie Guerrero as a babyface, because they think there's a certain cap on how much that's going to bring them, and they think there's a bigger upside to John Cena as a top babyface, and if they think the best way for John Cena to get over is fighting and heel Eddie Guerrero sometime later this year. And I'm not saying I know that's the case, but let's just say that, the, let's let's imagine that's a potential scenario, that they say, John Cena's got more of an upside than Eddie Guerrero does because of age and, and just other reasons, and we tried Eddie last year and we kind of saw what we are going to get out of him. Let's turn Eddie heel so that he can really be the guy who really brings out the best in John Cena, both on the mic and in the ring. Is that, does that soften the absurdity that you see of turning him heel at this point? 
doesn't know, and I'll tell you why. Yeah. I mean, it's not that John Cena is not making progress in the ring, which he's not, and John Cena doesn't seem to be making progress outside the ring either as, a, as an attraction. It's not even that. It's not the John Cena side. It's the fact that what you would want to do is transfer the people that are with Eddie over to John Cena, and I don't see that that's a transferable thing. I think Eddie has a specific audience. And maybe there's, you know, maybe there's other acts that could follow him, but I don't see John Cena as being that type of act. So what you're doing is alienating part of your audience and then hoping that John Cena picks up so much momentum that he can add another audience that will replace that one and some more because that's the only time it's, it's worth doing. Um, would, John, would John Cena learn, you would hope that John Cena would learn and would benefit from working with a worker and a heel and a guy who can play heel as well as Eddie Grove. So in that sense, it's not the worst thing in the world, but um, I don't sense that that's where this is going. I think that they're putting Eddie back into the, you know, back into the back into the um, mid card mix as a heel, and that's just nuts. I mean, John Cena's a whole other, you know, kettle of fish. I mean, right now, John Cena, it's time for him to step up as a performer, and um, he hasn't done that yet. Pat, your thoughts on John Cena's push at this point with the whole chain gang gimmick that's been really one of the centerpieces the last few weeks of SmackDown. Well, I mean, it, it, John Cena's been on the same track for about a year now. He, you know, he fights for the U.S. title. He wins the U.S. title. He loses the U.S. title. He fights some mediocre guy over the U.S. title. It goes for a few months. Then maybe he loses it again and he wins it back. And, you know, I, I, I you know, I understand what you're saying, Bruce, but first of all, it's kind of hard to bring out the best of John Cena when he's working with Kenzo Suzuki and when he's going to work with Kenzo Suzuki again next week. And Rene Dupree before that. Yeah, I mean, that's, okay, there, there's that to begin with. Um, you know, the Eddie Guerrero, you know, turning Eddie Guerrero heel, just to cover that briefly, I don't even trust WWE to be able to do that right. If they're not careful, they're going to turn Eddie heel, and it's going to be like Booker T's heel turn, when people are just going to cheer Eddie anyway. Yeah. Um, to me, the one you do is Eddie Guerrero as a babyface versus Carlito Cool as a heel. Mm-hmm. That's a new matchup. Cool is good enough, you know. Cool is good enough as a wrestler that Eddie could bring something out of it, and he's showing the personality, and he's showing the, um, you know, he's showing the star power that start off as a heel, and then later on you could turn a babyface and he'd be a cool babyface. But Bruce, who's going to pay to see two wrestlers under six feet wrestle each other? Yeah, but I mean, Bruce, you're just not they thinking are. like uh, like uh, you're not thinking uh, WWE main event style. Hopefully, the same people that pay to see John Hunter ride wrestle Undertaker. <laughs> yeah. Um, any final thoughts, guys? Because I know, uh, Pat, you've got football you need to watch. Well, like, Aren't you watching the football game? I'm late. Am I? I've got it on. I mean, So isn't that kind of misleading to say that Pat has football that he's going to watch when you two are watching football? Well, no, I, I, I'm not, I don't need to see this entire game. I'm not that, um, you know. I, but but Pat, I, Pat wanted to get this done before football, and I promised him that. And, and obviously that didn't happen, did it? No, but. I don't know, Pat. Didn't he promise 30 minutes before we started? What are we, I wonder what we're at now. Uh, we're at 52 minutes, I believe. Uh, actually, in uh, 10 seconds, we'll be at 54 minutes. So. Oh, I believe that's a class action suit. Um, I mean, at least, <laughs> is it two people together in a class action suit? I don't know. First of all, that uh, I saw just about less than an hour ago, the passing of uh, Johnny Carson moved on the uh, website. Um, you, know, you know, Johnny was. Uh, oh my God, I did not know that. Yeah. No, thank, just, 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 thank you, Bruce. No, no, I didn't mean that as a judge. Oh no, I, I, I did not know that. Uh, oh, no, that was one of those. It's pet lines, but I honestly, wow. 
it's it's kind of hard for the younger you know for God I can't believe there's people younger than me who are listening to this but they, it's kind of hard for the younger generation to figure out exactly you know what Johnny Carson <clears throat> meant to a uh, to a generation of Americans who stayed up late uh, you know you know even even when you're a kid staying up late to watch Johnny was was cool and you know I got to see a lot of uh, a lot of the Carson reruns when I was in college and a lot of the a lot of these skits got incorporated into my college radio and it's my college radio show I know that's hard to believe. And um, you know we're, we're we're going to miss him. I mean, it's it, there. You know, there's there's not he is, he was the uh, perfect uh, person for that for, to be the uh, late night host for that generation. I mean, he was the talk he was the talk show icon that 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 really started a ton of comedians on his show. I mean, that was the big thing to get on the Johnny Carson show and and to get the thumbs up and be invited over to the couch was was what made. I mean, it really, literally made people into the sh- into show business, whether they were going to be pop stars or not. And just uh, a deep talk show, show business icon. I mean, I guess if you took Leno and Letterman, and who were proteges of his, and every talk show guy you see now, and added them together, you might get what Johnny Carson meant in, in that era. Boy, that's going to be. I I didn't even know that either, Pat. So I'm just checking out the uh, uh, CNN.com and MSNBC.com now to look at what what they're saying about him. It, that's I mean, I grew up with him too. I mean, he there's never any going to be anybody who embodied show business for me growing up as a kid more than him because anybody who was anybody was you know his pal on that show. Um, and you know when I think of the Rat Pack and when I think of of uh, Michael Landon when he was dying of cancer and and all these memorable moments that you know on Carson and then of the previous generation and he was the bridge to the next generation too. Um, you know the ones uh, in the hatchet. I mean, Letterman and Leno got their start through him. Seinfeld obviously did. Um, uh, Larry Sanders, what's his real name? Gary Shanley. Gary Shanley. Um, I mean, all, I mean, it's just you could talk obviously for hours about all the people on his show, but he was the person who uh, um, who, who embodied show business to me while growing up, and, and I just don't know that uh, Leno and Letterman is is as much as each of them are you know people are fans of each of them that that they come anywhere close. Um, to what Carson meant to uh, to talk, to, not just to showbiz, just to representing showbiz. Carson to me was the thing center. about that guy was he was such a comfortable presence on his yes. television that when he was bombing, when he was out there and he got a bad line or you know told a joke that wasn't very good or he just he just didn't seem to, you know just something wasn't clicking, he was at his funniest then. <clears throat> he was so comfortable he knew how to handle an audience and he knew what to say that I mean. I mean, it seems like a paradox, but it really wasn't. When he was bombing was when he was at his funniest because he knew what to do. He just really had that had that thing. And to me, when I think of the Midwest, when I think of where Wade Keller's from, the quintessential Midwesterner, um, the quintessential American was Johnny Carson. Yeah. And, and I, I, I was always sad that when he left, when he did his final show, he said, you haven't seen the last of me. And yet we kind of had, other than a cameo on uh, Letterman once, he really did become somewhat reclusive. And, and, and I mean, that's totally his, his choice. But just personally, I was kind of disappointed. I wanted a little bit more of him in, in recent years. But you uh, know what? I really respected that. I thought... I do, too. I don't disrespect it. I just am being He left selfish. the stage. He left you with the be- his best. And he didn't come back and come back. And, I mean, there's even a wrestling corollary, which is not all that appropriate here. But, I mean, yeah. um, he... 
he he left you with his best. He left you with memories of it. And he got off the stage before you know things went downhill. He didn't make comeback after comeback. I mean, you look at great show business people, you know Frank Sinatra and all that. All of them didn't have that discipline. And he actually went out, and you'd hear about him that he was enjoying his life. That he'd go to Wimbledon. That he'd play you know he played cards with Chevy Chase and Steve Martin and all the showbiz cronies, Gary Shandling and the showbiz cronies, and still was sharp. Um, but he, you know, he he said he was going to leave, and he left. You get the impression that David Letterman would do the same thing, but not very many, you know, show business people once they've had that level, you know, leave. And he and he did it. And um, I have a lot of respect for that. And he left. You know, the old show business thing. Let leave them wanting more. Wade's right. It, you still thought, you know, there's more in this guy. We could see some more, and it would be it would have been great to see him one more time. So he left us wanting more. Yeah. Yep. And you know there was there was a story that came out even a couple months ago that you know that every so often Johnny would would fax a joke over to David Letterman's office and you know I mean just to you know just 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 for the sheer heck of it. Well, I, I tell you what, I mean, I know I'll I'll be taping Leno and watching Letterman or vice versa on uh, Monday night because I mean the, the, this is they're going to be talking about him as well Conan and as well uh, um, the new guy in CBS and, and John Stewart every, Ellen Will every talk show host I mean think about how many talk show hosts there's a different world now and there's more outlets and all that but they all have their genesis and of course he has his genesis in Jack Parr and some other people but yeah. they all have and Steve Allen they all have a root to this guy I mean a very important part of our entertainment life comes from this one man and then just just in terms of being a human being, you know, imagine being somebody who went to who, you know, at the end of a long successful life has no enemies. That's that's just that's just not possible. But you know, but well, he Jordan Rivers. Yeah. Oh well. Which is, which is a really fascinating story in and of itself. And, well, that's, uh, and also, I mean, you can see what Donovan comes I think he can live with that one. Yeah, I think he. I think he did. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, I mean, I, I'm you know, I'm stunned. I mean, he's one of those guys who. Um, you know, you pretty much knew, uh, you know, we knew we would outlive him, but you just don't ever expect, um, you know, the day to come, because that is, it's like Frank Sinatra dying, it's kind of the official end of a certain era of this country's pop culture and, and showbiz era. There's just, I mean, it's it's like, it is the official end, even though he hasn't been around for um, more than 10 years for the most part, it is very, it feels very final. Yeah, it is. Alright, well, um, on that note, um, Maybe we shouldn't be so uh, 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 joke about the football game, but we'll let you get back to uh, or let you join it in progress, Pat. I'll do the same. I don't think we'd miss much yet. And uh, thank we'll you. We'll see you tomorrow after with our uh, with our big uh, round raw recap. That'll be uh, fantastic. What's that? We're, we'll, we'll see you tomorrow when we give out our uh, raw roundtable scores. That's true. I'm for high scores for tomorrow night. I just have this feeling. You think we're, it's going to be a good show? I just have the faith. I believe in faith now. Yeah, good. Yeah. The faith is going to be good. Ah. Right before Royal Rumble, it should be good. Yeah. Okay. No, I'm good. All right. On that smooth note, thanks, guys. We'll talk to you next time.